The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Appreciate the uh, the trust your uh, pastor has in me. We have never met except on the phone call about a couple weeks ago. We have never seen each other. He's never been to my church. I've never been to his church. But I appreciate the privilege of uh, being here. Uh, again, my name is Eric Anderson. I'm pastor at a First Baptist Church Walteri in Torrance, part of Los Angeles, southern part of Los Angeles. Been there two years. And uh, before that, I've served in ministry, various capacities, youth minister, worship minister, uh, uh, associate pastor, assistant pastor, English pastor in a Chinese church, and finally I'm the senior pastor uh, at this church there in Torrance, part of LA. And uh, that church has been there since 1935, it was just a small congregation, and uh, when I came there, uh, I was told, well, maybe the church should just fold up and just, uh, just end its ministry for the years. And the people in the congregation had no desire to close the doors. And so I've been there two years, and I have no plan to close the doors of the ministry either. Uh, you know, we believe God wants his word taught and communicated to people all over. There's always a need for good Bible-believing and teaching churches uh, in the United States everywhere you go. And it's uh, too, too bad that we don't have enough. And no need to close doors of them. We need to start some more, not close the doors of the other. We'll work as hard as we can to communicate God's word and the gospel and the blessing of God's truth to people. Uh, my wife is Grace. Uh, we're down here on the front row. She's Chinese. We've been married 19 years. Uh, she's born in Taiwan and uh, lived here in the United States now about half of her life. We met in seminary. She was working on a Christian education degree. And I was working on a Master of Divinity degree. And uh, she currently teaches Chinese language at one of the public high schools there in Los Angeles. Has about 200 students that she works with every day. So she keeps her hands busy with six classes every day with high school students. So if you can speak Mandarin Chinese, she'll be glad to have a conversation with you. As well as Taiwanese. That's her uh, other language she speaks. She grew up with in in the country of Taiwan. So uh, she speaks three languages. She, she tells me Taiwanese is her third language. English is her second language at this point. Uh, but she is a, a Chinese language teacher and part of the ministry that I work with. We do have one daughter, and uh, she is attending Sonoma. And the reason I uh, had talked with your pastor is that we're going to be it, at Sonoma in the area Wednesday and a Thursday because the orientation there was today and tomorrow, and I said, we want to go to a Baptist church in the area for a Wednesday night service, and I asked him, do you have Wednesday night service? Uh, because a lot of churches don't have Wednesday night services, and he said, yes, we do. So just uh, nice to do that, but my daughter is uh, starting her freshman year at Sonoma State, and uh, looking, her uh, interest is criminology, the psychology of criminals, and uh, she said she wants to, likes to, or wants to, I don't know. She, she said she wants to interview criminals. Okay, and I said, 
Okay. <laughs> uh, so that's her interest. Uh, as I come here tonight, I sort of come with a little bit of an intrepidation, simply because I've never been here. I've never met your pastor other than over the phone. And, you know, I want to be a wise steward of the opportunity God gives me and also communicate his truth wisely uh, when I'm here. Uh, but again, I pray for the opportunity to stand in your pulpit and uh, be a guest of your pastor and your church here. Um, I've uh, been a Christian for most of my life. Let me just tell you a little bit about part of my journey. This will relate to where I can look at tonight, which is Psalm 19. Uh, I was uh, saved when I was uh, six years old. I came to know Christ as my Savior, six years old. And as a six-year-old child, I wasn't... I'd been raised in a pastor's home. My dad is a retired pastor. And I've heard the Bible taught ever since probably, you know, three or four weeks old. You know, in a nursery, a preschool, beginner's class, whatever those classes were. And at six years old, I remember I was at my house one day. No prompting that I remember from either of my parents. But it was a Saturday. We lived in Billings, Montana. And that morning I just thought, you know... I need to become a Christian. And at six years old, I walked into uh, one of the bedrooms in my house. It was actually my parents' bedroom. They weren't in there. Uh, my dad was doing some other things. Mom was probably doing work in the kitchen in the house. And I walked in. I just knelt down by the bed. Uh, you don't have to kneel down, but that's what I did. And I just prayed a basic prayer. I just said, Dear Jesus, I believe I'm a sinner. I... Uh, I understand that you died for my sins. You're buried, rose again three days later. You're truly God. I want to go with you to heaven when I die. In Jesus' name, amen. That was about my prayer. And at six years old, I truly became a believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm not going to tell you it you know, radically changed my life at six years old. I wasn't involved in gangs at that point or anything like that. Uh, but I already knew at six years old I was a sinner. I already knew how to lie. I already knew how to be mean to my sister. Uh, I already knew how to disobey my parents at six years old. And I could tell you that. And if you want to verify it, all you have to do is ask them. And ask my sister. They would tell you, yes, he already did figure that out by six years old. Um, I've talked with people who said, oh no, even by adult, we're, we, we can't figure out that we're sinners. I figured it out by age six. Um, and uh, at age six, I truly accepted Christ as my Savior. In my high school years, I walked away from the Lord. Uh, I was uh, rebellious in my heart. Uh, my goal in high school, just to openly, my goal in high school was to be a, a heavy metal rock star. And so uh, I, uh, I picked up a guitar, bought a guitar after 10th grade. Uh, my grandfather was uh, a good guitar player. He played sort of a country western honky-tonk, uh, Roy Atkins, I think is the name, uh, kind of guitar, very good. Very, he played violin and piano and mandolin also. And so some musical skills are in the family. But I found a guitar, began to practice it. Because that was my goal, and so I would practice an hour a day uh, by myself, self-motivated to do that. So I was uh, between 10th and 11th grade, and so in three months I taught myself 
myself, taught myself uh, guitar and how to play chords on the guitar because this was my goal in high school to be a heavy metal rock star and to have uh, drugs and women and rock and roll. And that was my goal. Uh, and so in high school, uh, you know, that was the scene. My friends were all into uh, uh, well-known rock and roll musicians at the time, uh, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, and those kind of bands. Uh, my last year of high school, I, had, I was still going to church, still lived at home. Uh, my parents said, if you live in our house, you go to church. You know, if you don't want to go to church, you can live somewhere else. You live at home, you're going to go to church. So I went to church. And um, I remember my last year of high school, it was a winter break in December 1979. And my youth leader in my church, uh, on a Wednesday night service, he said, uh, after Wednesday night service, uh, can I talk with you? And it was a uh, winter break. I didn't have classes the next day. I wasn't working at the time. And I lived only two blocks from church. Uh, we were in Colorado. It was snowing outside, but it didn't matter. Two blocks is nothing in the snow in Colorado because that's just part of life. And so I said, sure. And I sat down with him, and he sat across the table from me, just me and him, uh, in our uh, youth room there. And he uh, asked me a question. He asked me this question, went something like this. At the beginning of time, do you believe there was a God who created everything, who set it in motion, who designed things and brought it to pass as it is up to the point it is today? Or do you believe that out of a, a big bang and random processes and mutations and things like that, it brought it to the place that it is today in life? And I looked at him and I said, I don't have an answer for you. I'm not going to make a decision on that. He said, fine. And he pulled out a book called Scientific Creationism by Henry Morris. Henry Morris, is a he's a scientist. He's passed away. Also, a, uh, what we call a young earth creationist, takes the Bible literally. And he said, I'm going to talk with you about what it says here in this book. So he talked with me for an hour. Show me things from science that pointed to indicators that there was a God who has designed our universe in the processes, natural processes around us in the world today. And so after an hour, uh, my youth leader, Doug Anderson, who has no relationship to me, uh, he looked at me and he asked, Eric, at the beginning of time, do you believe there was a God who created everything, put it into order, designed it as it is, brought it to pass to the way it is today? Or do you think there was, out of this massive bang uh, random processes, mutations, no purpose, no design, brought it as to where it is today. And I said, I, I'm still not going to make a decision. I am not ready to make that decision yet. He said, fine. And he talked with me for another hour. And he said, I'd like to share you some more things from Henry Morris' book, Scientific Creationism. So I listened to him for another hour. I wasn't angry. I was listening. Uh, you know, it wasn't like, I'll listen, I'll put up with it. It was more like, I haven't heard this before, so I'm listening. And as I listened to him for that second hour, I began to think, 
could it possibly be true that there is a God who has designed the universe and put it into play and in how it is today and uh, put things in process? And as I began to think more and more, uh, as he was talking about those, I thought, hmm, it's a good question. And so after the second hour, he said, Eric, I have a question for you again. At the beginning of time, do you believe there was a God who created everything and put it into order and designed things and brought it to the place that it is today? Or do you think out of a, a big bang of sorts, random processes, mutation with no purpose, no design, and no plan, it brought it is to where it is today? After that second hour, I said, I think it would be wise to believe in God. And so for me, after three years of focusing on being a heavy metal rock star, God began to turn my heart back to him and uh, realized I need to follow God with my life. There is a creator, there is a designer, and there is a God of the universe that I need to put my trust in and not run away from and not fight, just come to him and begin to follow him. So it was the beginning of a turning point in my life after three years of really rebelling. And uh, God began to just step by step by step move me uh, to help follow him. With that as an introduction, let me pray, and then we're going to look at Psalm 19. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight. Uh, each of us, you do have a plan and a purpose for our lives if we will yield to you. We thank you for your word, gives us truth, gives us insights. Thank you for the fellowship of Christian brothers and sisters who are committed to follow you and know you better. We ask that you use our time together to honor your name and your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you find a Bible and turn with me to Psalm 19, please. This psalm has uh, 14 verses. We're going to read through it and just look at the ideas in this chapter tonight. And I've titled my sermon uh, tonight, Teaching uh, How God Reveals Himself. And so starting in verse 1 of chapter 19, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and a circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also 
from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright. I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So four points tonight as I look through this. God reveals himself uh, four ways. Just in this chapter, I'd like to talk about one way is through his creation. Uh, second way, God reveals himself through his commandments or his, his laws, his word. Uh, thirdly, God reveals himself through our conscience. And uh, then fourthly, God reveals himself through Christ. And so I'd like to look at these to, beginning, uh, to begin with, God reveals himself through creation. And so in the first six verses, it points to these ideas. God reveals himself through his creation. And in the first verse, the first point is that God's glory is shown in the heavens by his handiwork. His glory. It says the heavens declare the glory of God. And uh, I have at my home, I bought seven or eight years ago a coffee table book. It's about, I don't know, 18 by 12, maybe bigger than that, maybe 22 by 14 inches. It is a heavy book, and it shows pictures of the galaxies in our universe uh, in bright color taken by the telescope, various telescope cameras that are available that scientists have. Uh, absolutely incredible when you start looking at those. You go, wow, that's what it's out there. I, I, I just see a little white dot. But when you start looking at through telescopes, you start looking at the details, you realize it is incredible what you're looking at. And so I, I can turn those big pages and look at it and go, wow, that's what's out there? That little dot, that's what I'm seeing? That's amazing. And uh, it is really amazing. You know, when we think about what's uh, in our universe, sometimes we... Uh, overlook the fact that we're here, we get busy with life and think of just doing our things day to day, and that's fine, but there's all sorts of stuff God has created. And when you start thinking about the immensity of things out there, you you're actually should feel a sense of awe. Uh, they say the earth weighs, I don't, I don't know if we can figure this out, I don't know if uh, we can really grasp it, it says, they said the earth weighs 6,600 quintillion tons. That's 6,600 followed by 18 zeros. In, and that's tons. So you multiply that by 2,000. You have that number. That's how much the earth weighs. Uh, I, I just can't even fathom the weight of that. Uh, but our earth is incredible in terms of the weight. It's huge in compared to each human. I've been across the world several times to Taiwan and China and short-term mission trips. Uh, Earth is a large place. I can go across the world, halfway across the world, in about 12 hours by plane flight. Uh, it's, we've got a big place we live on, uh, the Earth we live on today. <clears throat> but uh, comparison with our sun, compared to the Earth, you can stick a million three hundred thousand Earths inside of our sun. That's the size of the sun that gives us light each day 
provides life and uh, opportunity for our plants, animals, and things like uh, us, various things just to survive. <clears throat> but it would take a million three hundred thousand Earths to fill it. That's how big the sun is. We think Earth's big, sun is enormous. <clears throat> but the sun is just one of the smallest stars in our galaxy. We have a galaxy of stars around us. We're actually one of the smaller, the sun is actually one of the smaller stars in the galaxy. One of the larger ones is called Antares. It's so gigantic that the sun, you could take 90 million suns and put it into Antares. Uh, I just, I just can't quite fathom that. They could put 90 million suns and put it in Antares. It's so big. It's uh, 300 million miles in diameter. But uh, it's just one of that. Antares is just one of the many, many hundred billion stars in our galaxy. Our galaxy is so massive. If, if we could travel at the speed of light, which is 182,000 miles a second, a little bit more than that, it would still take us 100,000 years to cross our galaxy at the speed of light, 182,000 miles a second. Uh, we have a large galaxy, just immense, uh, and it's so thick from top to bottom, it'd take us uh, between five and 10,000 years to go from top to bottom of the galaxy, traveling at the speed of light. Uh, it's a large place out there, okay? And that's just our galaxy. <laughs> and there are many, many more galaxies out there, probably uh, hundreds of thousands. Uh, a couple years ago, uh, until a couple years ago, we could only see so far in the universe, but with more techniques and technology that they have with science and telescopes, uh, we can see from Earth, we can see out, 12 to 15 billion light years from Earth with our photographic equipment. <coughs> uh, and way at the end of the uh, universe from, from us, <coughs> there are galaxies that are uh, 200,000 light years across. Large, large uh, structures there. So we have an incredible universe we live in. Uh, so don't ever think, oh, it's just, it's just an accident, random, it just, uh, just happened to be in existence, just a little thing out there. It's, it's amazing when you start studying it. I hope, I hope that was the right one to drink from. <laughs> uh, but God has communicated his glory through the heavens around us. Here in uh, Psalm 19, in verse 2, it says that his glory, his handiwork, and his divine knowledge are spoken or declared by the universe. It says it uttereth speech day to day and a night to night. It shows knowledge everywhere in the universe. If you will look, you will see incredible things out there. I haven't had the opportunity to see through one of those fancy telescopes. I know they have one, I, I think, uh, Palomar Observatory. I think that's the name in Los Angeles. I haven't been there. But I'm, I'm told it's really incredible to look through some of those things. Uh, all around us, our universe shows there's a God who put it together 
if you'll just think about what you're looking at. I, uh, I have a couple, I have one DVD writ, uh, put together by a man named Spike Pissarras. I think I'm pronouncing that last name correctly. It's spelled P-S-A-R-R-I-S. Spike Pissarras, uh, he, I believe he worked with NASA for a while. He no longer works with them. Put together two DVDs, one called Our Created Solar System. And I've seen that. I have it at home. talks about our solar system and the unique things about our solar system in the universe. Then uh, he has another one that I don't have, but he has uh, actually made two more. One of those is Our Created Stars and Galaxies. That's the next one I'd like to get to see what he says about the technical details about our universe that we live in. Uh, and really an excellent, if you have an opportunity to pick up anything like that by a Spike Pissaris, a uh, uh, wonderful, uh, wonderful details there. In Psalm 19, verse 3, we see that everyone everywhere can hear or understand God's spoken revelation of his creation. It says, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. In verse 4, their line has gone out. Through all the earth, their words to the end of the world. And so wherever you go, America, South America, any continent on earth, with any group of people, with any language, with any tribe, uh, any uh, country, people can tell, if they're looking, that the creative world around them of creation and nature is incredible. And especially the universe and the skies above, you can see that from most places on Earth, although Los Angeles, we don't see that many stars. It's too much light in the city. But I've been different places. I remember about 15 years ago visiting a retreat center in southern Colorado. On a, we were about 50 miles away from a city. Out in the country, I looked up on that night and... Uh, I think there was no moon that night, but the stars filled the sky. I've never seen anything like that since. I think I was probably looking at least at 10,000 stars that I, my visible eye could see. I don't know. I'm, I, I didn't count them all. It was just incredible, just like it was littered uh, like sand on a seashore up at the sky, just everywhere, the stars. But wherever I go, God's truth is revealed of his creation uh, wherever we go on earth. Every country, every nation, every people can see indications of what he's done with the universe, our God. I did a, a, a research project about 10 years ago when I taught youth class. I, I taught some things about creation and, and our solar system, so I decided to do a, a little study on details about each of the planets, the sun, and some of the moons, especially our moon, uh, in our solar system, and ask the question, is it feasible that we could live on any of those places without any special suits? Could we just walk around on those places like I'm walking around now? Every single one of the planets, the sun and our moon, and any of the moons in our solar system are unlivable. Every single one except here. This is the only place in the solar system you can live without a suit. 
of special kind. Okay, and, and I, did, I did the research. So you either got several, one of two issues, uh, of multiple issues. One, no water. We need water to survive. Many of them have no water. Many of them have no atmosphere. Many of them, it's freezing, absolutely freezing. We wouldn't survive. Some of them are so hot, we won't survive. Hot like Venus. Uh, uh, some of them have winds that are so fast, we'll just blow you right out of, just, just knock you over. And that's how you'd have to live, just being knocked over all the time, you'd die. Uh, some of them have weather that's so erratic, you can't live with it. Some of them have magnetic fields or lack of ground on some of the, uh, the gas giants of, of uh, planets. There is literally no place in our solar system you can live without a special suit other than planet Earth. I want to tell you what. God in his word, in one of the verses, I don't know offhand where it is because I didn't look it up. It says, God made the earth to be inhabited. This place was meant by God to live on. No place else. Uh, but uh, when I, after I did that research, I thought... God designed this earth to live on. That's why we're here. We're not on the moon. We'd be dead. We're not on Mars. I remember in the 60s looking at National Geographic and said, oh, 20 years from now, we're going to be living on Mars. <laughs> well, that's 50 years ago. It's already passed. We're still not living on Mars. Okay? And we, don't still, we still don't have colonies. You can read the science fiction. It's neat. But it, there's no reality. This is where we live. This is where we can live. And this is where we, normal, under normal conditions, can live. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, it is amazing, God's design and plan, we can live here on earth. D on, with this passage, is uh, the sun is one of the indications of God's handiwork. The sun is one of the indications of God's handiwork uh, in terms of his creation. And it's in constant um, involvement with our lives. Uh, wherever it is, we, we have the sun all around us all the time. Interesting, a couple words here, let me just point out. It says uh, in verse 4, in them, uh, in the universe around us, he, God, has set a tabernacle for the sun, uh, which means a tent. Uh, that word is the Hebrew word uh, chupah. I may not be pronouncing it right, but it's close. It refers to the canopy that covers the bride and the groom in modern Jewish culture when they get married. And so when they have a wedding ceremony, if you have a, a Jewish couple getting married, they'll have a tent over them at the marriage ceremony. This is called the chupah. Now, in ancient culture, <coughs> they didn't have it that way. It was different. That tent was used for the wedding night after the marriage ceremony was completed. Their first night, bride and groom together, was in a tent that was for them their first wedding night. And uh, they would spend that night together in that special tent. That was called the chupah. In the morning, after the new bride and groom emerged from the tent, they would usually have smiling faces. We are now husband and wife. We are married, and uh, we're going to spend our lives together with God's blessing. <clears throat> and so verse 5, it says, <clears throat> the son, in verse 5, is as a bridegroom, 
coming out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run the race. <clears throat> so the picture is like that first, after the first wedding night, the next day when you see the bridegroom, he's, he's come out from his house or his tent. Uh, he has a new wife. They're married now. They come out. He comes out and he has a smile on his face. Uh, I'm married. I've got a new wife. Uh, my only wife. Hopefully that's his wife. <clears throat> and he's rejoicing like a strong man who's just run the race. And so the sun is like that. Every morning it comes out with its brightness shining, just like the, the couple, especially the bridegroom, as he comes out after his first night with his bride. So the sun is like that. It says also in verse 5, uh, actually 6, it says, The sun goes from the one end of heaven and a circuit to the ends of it. And so... Uh, if you can study that, it's uh, the sun, we're in a, a rotation of some sort uh, throughout the universe and some kind of circuit. Uh, and sort of interesting, I don't have the details with me, but you can look that up. But the sun has, uh, in our solar system, we're rotating not only in our galaxy, but through the universe. Next, the sun's heat is crucial to everything on earth, it says in verse 6. There's nothing hid from the heat thereof. So on our earth, uh, the heat that the sun provides helps us to live, to raise crops, provide a warmth for our bodies so we can survive. So again, number one in this passage, God reveals himself through his creation around us in various ways. The focus here in this passage is this creation of the universe around us. The second part of this is in verse 7 through 11. And in verse 7 through 11, God shows himself, uh, reveals himself in his commandments or his uh, principles of his word. And uh, it says there in verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, testimony of the Lord, it is sure making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous are, and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. So here God reveals himself through his commandments. Uh, you see God, one of the ways he shows that there is a God is because commands of right and wrong come from somewhere may not have thought about that, but commands for right and wrong come from somewhere. And they don't evolve just out of DNA. Where do we get absolutes of right and wrong? How do we know, even in non-Christian places with people who are not even believers in Jesus Christ, how do they know what a lie is? Why are they upset when somebody tells them something that's not true? Because God has laid out commandments that reveal he is the one behind those. And we can see that very clearly through his word. God shows himself through his word, which is perfect. <clears throat> I'm reminded of a, 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 a presentation I went to a couple years ago with a creationist named Mark Armitage. He worked at Cal State University Northridge in Los Angeles. And uh, he did research in their research lab 
he, uh, he did some dinosaur bone digs in Montana. Dug up bones and uh, did uh, the cutting that they have to do to do their research in the lab. And he came back to the lab and he worked on high-powered technical microscopes where he would slice things and they would look at the specimens that they pulled out of those digs. And uh, he told us that uh, the human hair is measured at 100 microns. Now, my ruler doesn't go down to 100 microns, but I, I know what a human hair looks like. He said a human hair is measured at 100 microns. And he said he was working with some pieces of specimen that were 5 microns thick. That's 20, you know, it's a hair divided into 20 pieces in the thickness. And he was working with specimens that are 5 microns thick. And he said some of them were measured in nanometers, and there are 1,000 nanometers in a micron. So he was working with tiny, tiny, tiny specimens to see the details in this very powerful microscope he was working with, Cal State Northridge. He said those microscopes were about a half a million dollars each. <laughs> you know, wow, half a million dollars for one microscope. So technical and so powerful, he could see things. <clears throat> so he was working with those things and uh, did his uh, research. I'm reminded when God did his word, he got the details right, down to the tiny details. He got them right. Uh, he put it together. God wasn't off by a slight part of a nanometer. He was on target, absolute target. Uh, I, I've been around church ministry all my life. I realize some churches will tell you, well, you know, uh, most of God's word is true, but some of it isn't. Uh, I want to tell you, I believe the whole thing. Uh, when God said it, he said it, and it was accurate. There's some things I don't understand. I'm going to have to ask God in heaven when I get there. My, one of my professors at college said, just, I'm just going to keep a card in my pocket. I'll ask him, well, what about this God? I didn't quite understand that. <laughs> I will tell you what, I don't, quite, I don't understand everything, but I believe it's true. Uh, God, he's not in error. When God speaks of spiritual issues, he's on target. When God speaks of history, he's on target. When God speaks in his word of psychology, things related to how people live and respond, he is on target. When God talks about principles for life, he's on target. It's inerrant. Uh, there's, it's without error. I can trust it in its totality. It says God's word, that word uh, that's used there in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. It's without error. I'm God, I'm so blessed that God has given us his word that I can trust it. It's perfect. Verse 7 says it's sure. Verse 8 says it's right. Verse 8 also says it is pure. 9 says it's clean, endures forever, and it's true and righteous altogether. When God says it, he wants to communicate, I've done it right. You and I make mistakes. God doesn't. He did it right. I can trust it. God also reveals himself through his word. It's not only perfect, it's practical. He wants to make things for us done in such a way, communicated, that you and I can use them in our daily life. 
James 1, 5 says, if you, anybody lacks wisdom, ask of God. He'll give it to you. You know, do you need help with a financial decision? Ask God for wisdom. He can help you with the financial decisions. You have a job change, you need prayer about that? Ask God to give you wisdom. You're searching for a job? Ask God to give you wisdom as you search for a job. Do you have some relationship challenges? Ask God to help you. Do you have some uh, emotional struggles? Do you have struggles with understanding parts of the Bible? Ask God to give you wisdom. Uh, are you struggling with issues with children or parents? Ask God to give you wisdom in the process. He says, I'll give you wisdom if you'll ask for it. Uh, do you have uh, challenges with a wife or husband? And uh, I'll even say this. You have challenges with the political system? Uh, ask God to give you wisdom a lot <laughs> as we deal with that. Uh, God says he'll give us wisdom. Uh, and so we need to be looking for his word, praying about things as we deal, go through life. God's word is practical for the issues of life we deal with, uh, whatever the issues of life. Uh, we see in verse 8, it says that God's word enlightens the eyes. It helps us see. So when I study it, it's not just words on a page. I'm thinking, are there things here that relate to how I can live? And God's word has both doctrines, which are truths, but also principles that help us to live right. And so as I go through it, God's word is practical. We see also in this passage here about God's word, it's precious. Verse 10, it says, More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. God's word is precious. It's, it's sweet, it's precious like gold, it's sweet like honey. It's very special. Again, it's not just words on a page by random men just randomly putting things together. It's, it's so precious, it's like gold. It's sweet like honey. I've had an opportunity as a pastor to talk with various people who have uh, come to my church and become members. And they've shared with me what their life was before they became a Christian. They said after, before they became a Christian, they were studying and looking at it. They said, it just didn't come together. It didn't make sense. But there was a point where they said it began to make sense. And after they came to Christ, they said it was almost like the lights went on. Like, oh, I can see it now. God's word is precious like gold. It enlightens the eyes. It's practical. It's precious. God's word God reveals himself through his word, and one of those ways is his commandments that he provides for us. Then, in verse 12 to 14, God reveals himself through our conscience. Those word, verses say, who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright. I shall be innocent from the great transgression. God reveals himself through our conscience. People have a, as I said before, not only they know commands, but there's just this innate sense of right and wrong. No matter where you go, there's an innate sense of right and wrong. 
even in countries and with people who say, I don't even believe in a God. There's an innate sense of right and wrong. And I want to tell you what, it doesn't come from your DNA. It's not just randomly brought through your uh, social group that you grow up with. Uh, God has given us an innate sense of right and wrong uh, that even those who are godless have a, still a sense of right and wrong. I am told that Hitler, when he had meetings with the people, he said, when I have meetings with the people who meet together with me, uh, leadership meetings, he said, uh, no one is allowed to bring a gun. He had a sense of, there's a right and wrong with me, and you don't bring a gun in. Now, why don't he just say, all of life is random anyway, so do, do what you want. Because he had an innate sense of right and wrong, even though he is godless. God gives every person an innate sense of right and wrong, whether they acknowledge him or not. I am told, although I haven't talked with him, but I'm told that uh, with gangs uh, on the streets of L.A., uh, there's, they, uh, they'll kill randomly, but on the streets of L.A., among their own people, they say, there are rules for how you treat our women and how you treat our children, and we will protect them. Why do they have a neat sense of right and wrong with their women and children? Because God has put it in their heart to have an innate sense of right and wrong. It's not taught to them by the gangs. God gave it to them whether they acknowledge him or not. And so God reveals himself through a conscience, even with godless people. It's not from our, in, uh, not from our DNA. Interestingly here it says some things here about real sin, and so I think it's good to take a note of this. It talks about our errors in verse 12, and then it says secret faults. Uh, every person, if we were to show every detail of our life, we would have secret faults. Things that cannot be seen, things that are only going on in here. They're not actions, but we've thought about it. <clears throat> And uh, if God revealed that to everybody, we'd be ashamed of ourselves. Good thing, God has chosen not to reveal all of our thoughts. God knows them. And he knows them all. You know, uh, when that person cuts me off, I'm driving through traffic in L.A., and I just think like, ah! I want to go after them. <laughs> but nobody's there in the car. They don't hear anything. They don't know it. <laughs> and I don't actually go after them. But I'm angry enough to go smash into their car, okay? That's a secret fault. Nobody sees it but me and God, because I don't act on it. <laughs> but if I act on it, it would no longer be secret. <laughs> uh, we have secret faults, and so God says each of us have secret faults. People who say we're sinless. I, we have one of my friends, uh, Grace and I, we have uh, one of our friends, we asked about 10 years ago, she's mid-30s, said, do you ever have a sense that you've ever sinned in your life? No. Mid-30s, a lady. Uh, now, she may be a very moral, very moral person, but when people talk with me and they say, I've never sinned, well, I just ask several questions. One, have you ever been greedy for anything that somebody else has? You can't see greed unless it's acted upon, but it can go on in the heart. You ever lusted after another person, another woman, another guy? 
Uh, uh, ever lost it? Can't see those things. You ever been angry? So much you wanted to act on, and you never, but you never did? You know, there's some things, and, and you can be angry and not sin. Uh, but sometimes people just hold that anger, it just keeps festering inside, but nobody's, nobody sees it. And you don't deal with it. Uh, you ever had anger that you never let go of? You ever, ever had a person you've never forgiven? And uh, nobody else knows about it, but you are just bitter about them. But nobody can see that you didn't forgive them because you don't say anything. I want to tell you what. That probably describes every one of us. We've been greedy. We've had lust. We've been angry and held on to anger sometimes in our life longer than we should have. And uh, we want to get even, revenge, various things like those things. Or, and we haven't forgiven people when they need to, to be forgiven. Uh, all of us have sins. Whether they're outside here or going on here inside. All of us have sin. Uh, some of those are secret. God sees them all. Verse 13 also says, uh, talks about presumptuous sins, which means sins of pride. You don't always see sins of pride, but sometimes uh, you do. There, people are very proud of certain things. Uh, and I'm not, I think there's a legitimate point for being proud of some things you worked hard at. Uh, but there's a point where it's, uh, it's over the top and it's not necessary. Uh, where people are just, just really just showing themselves off. I've, uh, I've seen, I've been around the church, I've been around ministries, I've seen people, I'm a musician, I play piano and guitar, and uh, as a musician I know I, uh, there are musicians who are really almost arrogant about their musicianship. Uh, and I say that as a musician myself. Uh, but I've seen people walk up to the piano like... <sighs> And I think, I want to tell you what, there's no ne- that's not a necessity. You can do that at your home. Don't do it in church ministry, okay? Uh, <clears throat> that, that's not appropriate for God's people. Uh, we need to be uh, honorable with what we do, and uh, don't let pride go before a fall. Those things go on. Finally here, God reveals himself through Christ. And you may be thinking, Pastor, I don't see Christ in there. Look at verse 14, if you would. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. That verse, the word redeemer here, is the same word as used in the book of Ruth. Uh, Some of you may know about this. It's the word goel or the person who buys a person out of their sin or slavery, or out of a bad condition, and they buy them out. said, O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And so at the end of this psalm, the psalmist writes about, the Lord is my strength and my redeemer. The Lord has bought us out of our sin in the person of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, that was referred to as the Messiah. And so they looked forward to the Messiah. He would come and uh, be their redeemer to buy them out of slavery to sin and, and injustice and oppression. We can look back in history and say, I know who the redeemer is. 
It's Jesus. He bought us out of the sin and slavery of our life. He's the Redeemer. I know him by name. They looked only in forward in prophecy. I look back in history. That's Jesus Christ. He's the Redeemer who's bought me out of sin and slavery. Uh, there's a, a chorus, uh, actually part of a verse to one of the songs written a number of years ago. It goes, there's the Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One. And when I talk about the Redeemer, Jesus reveals most clearly who God is in the person of Jesus Christ. God, man, Christ Jesus. Uh, men and women, uh, I encourage you tonight, uh, ask the question to yourself, do you know the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, is your Savior? Uh, he's the one who died for your sins. He was buried three days later. He rose from the grave. Uh, rose again in a physical body form, not just a ghost. A physical body is not a spirit. Rose again in physical body. And what a pleasure to know, blessing to know he died for my sins and your sins, all of them to cover them and wipe them out, burying them in the depths of the sea. Uh, what a blessing to know Christ is my Savior. I knew him at age six. I've been growing in my walk with him for over 45 years. And God's still working in my life. I am not perfect yet. I'm in the process of following him and growing uh, in my walk with him through life. Uh, what a blessing to know Christ is revealed. Uh, he's, that's how he, God is revealed through Christ. God reveals himself through creation, through our conscience, and through the commandments of his word. Uh, God wants to show us he's real. It takes faith to believe. But you and I can do that, putting our hearts and uh, minds on him, putting our faith and trust in him. Hope you've done that. I know any of the leaders here, if you've never done that, they'd love to talk with you. I'd love to talk with you. Uh, what a blessing to know my Redeemer, my Lord, and Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Dear Holy Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth in it. Help us to take it to heart the blessings of knowing you, and the fact that you do want us to know you. Lord, it's, you're not the God who is just living out at the end of the universe with no clues at all. Lord, you've put enough truths and clues around us that if we will look with open hearts and open eyes, we'll see. Help us to be following you, walking closer to you by knowing your word, and through Jesus Christ, Messiah, our Redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.